The following sermon audio has been brought to you by Christ Church Downtown. For more information, check us out online at www.christkirk.com. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's rise and worship the triune God. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And also to you. From Psalm 145. I'll extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another, and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty, and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. Lift up your hearts. O Lord God, you are the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God. You are the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light. This morning we join together with all your saints in the earth, praising your unsearchable greatness and mighty deeds. You are faithful to a thousand generations, have made a way through your Son for us to enter your holy place with boldness. So we joyfully come with humble hearts to worship you now in spirit and truth. Amen. Over the past few weeks, we have been considering the fruit of the Spirit that Paul presents in Galatians 5, and this week we will meditate on patience. What do you think of when you hear the word patience? Perhaps your mind goes to those tedious situations in which you find yourself waiting, like the line at the grocery store, the red light, or the doctor's office. Or maybe you think of people and your need for patience with them. You know, you need more understanding with that coworker who's clumsier than you wished. Or maybe, uh, for the kids in the room, you've had to learn to patiently wait for your parents to address you when they're talking and you have something really, really important to say. These are all true examples of patience. But patience isn't merely slowing down, chilling out, or taking our time. Patience is also forbearance with others when they sin against us. Patience is not demanding perfection in others as if sanctification was on our timing. Patience is fortitude in situations that are difficult. Patience is acknowledging that we worship a sovereign God who has a plan. And remember, patience is a fruit of the Spirit. This gift from God is cultivated in us only when we are united to God. Without his grace, all we have in ourselves is the works of the flesh, which do not require patience. Impatience looks like sexual immorality. Impatience looks like enmity and strife. Impatience looks like fits of anger. You and I know that we so often fall short of practicing patience, but for every critical look that we take at ourselves and others, we must look to God and recognize his patience towards us. Is not God patient when he looks at you and me? We live lives unworthy of him, yet he is not dismayed, and his love does not waver. He is the long-suffering God who is working out his long-term project in our hearts and in this world. He is conforming us moment by moment to the image of his Son, and he will bring this good work to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Therefore, be patient even as your Father in heaven is patient. Nehemiah 1.7, we have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, nor the ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses. 
Father, we come to you as your sons and servants, grateful for the redemption that is ours in Jesus Christ, and yet aware of our continuing need of your grace. We confess that we have sinned against you and have fallen short of your glory. We are an impatient people who so quickly forget your patience towards us. We repent of the moments in which we know that we have lacked love towards one another and instead responded with frustration and anger. Give us the grace to show patience towards others as you have shown patience towards us. We confess our individual sins to you now and Selah. Our sermon text is from Deuteronomy chapter 22, verses 1 through 8. Listen to the Lord's words. You shall not see your brother's ox or his sheep going astray and ignore them. You shall take them back to your brother. And if he does not live near you and you do not know where he, who he is, you shall bring it home to your house. And it shall stay with you until your brother seeks it. Then you shall restore it to him. And you shall do the same with his donkey, or with his garment, or with any lost thing of your brother's, which he loses and you find. You may not ignore it. And you shall not see your brother's donkey or his ox fallen down by the way and ignore them. You shall help him to lift them up again. A woman shall not wear a man's garment, nor shall a man put on a woman's cloak. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. If you come across a bird's nest in any tree or on the ground with young ones or eggs and the mother sitting on the young or on the eggs, you shall not take the mother with the young. You shall let the mother go, but the young you may take for yourself, that it may go well with you and that you may live long. When you build a new house, you shall make a parapet for your roof, that you may not bring the guilt of blood upon your house, if anyone should fall from it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, you have not left us to wander or to come up with our own style of life. Lord, I pray that you would give us the humility to be able to hear uh, your law, to receive it as good news for us to live faithfully. Lord, we ask that the meditations of our hearts and the words of my mouth would all be acceptable to you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So we, of course, believe in all of Christ for all of life. We want uh, the truths, the principles of Christ to get out into all of the details and the situations of our life. So let's try that out. Uh, what should you do if you are walking along and if you come across a bird's nest and a bird uh, on the ground protecting her eggs? And let's say you haven't had breakfast yet. And let's say that you are very, very hungry. Right? What should you do? Deuteronomy 22 says that what the decision that you make, how you respond, will dramatically impact your life. Either it will be long and prosperous or short and miserable. Right? 
and you need, you need wisdom to be able to choose rightly, to apply Christ's wisdom to this scenario. Okay. Granted, perhaps you have not come across the bird's nest quandary and like, mm, do I eat the bird or do I eat the eggs? Right? Maybe you haven't been there, but maybe you've come across something that is lost and you find it, or you've seen a car stuck in the snowbank, or you live in a culture with cross-dressing men. All of these are opportunities for you to live faithfully as Christians and to apply the wisdom that we have here in Deuteronomy. And this morning, we're going to look at just a small selection of wise laws that God gave to his people for good living. God gives these laws so that way his people can faithfully live. And the underlying principle that we're going to see in these laws is a value and a respect of all life. It is a value and a respect of all life. And that ranges from birds to donkeys to your neighbors to men to women. And the reason that Christians are to value life is because that is actually what God has done. Right? We value life because God values life. But before we get to the birds and the eggs, it would be helpful to do just a super quick summary of the structure of Deuteronomy. Because you may have noticed that we're kind of hop, skipping, and jumping all around through Deuteronomy. So it's, it's good to remember what's the big structure of Deuteronomy. And you can think of it as that this is a compilation of three sermons that Moses preached to Israel. And the first sermon is chapters 1 through 4 that looks at what God has done for his people. Right? It's how God has brought his people after 40 years of in the wilderness to the edge of the promised land. And they're about to go in to the conquest of Canaan. And then the second sermon is the big one. It's chapters 5 through 26, and that focuses on what God expects of his people in the promised land. Deuteronomy chapter 5 is where you get the, uh, the restatement of the Ten Commandments. So God gives the Ten Commandments again to this new generation, and then he spends the next 20 chapters applying God's Ten Commandments to all areas of our lives. And then the final sermon is Deuteronomy 27 through 30. And this is at the end of the book, and it climaxes with a covenant renewal ceremony between God and this new generation who's heard about what God's done for them, what God expects, and now how do you live? Right? How do you live in this new land? So our sermon passage. Deuteronomy 22 comes at the end of Moses' application of the Sixth Commandment. So, for the gold star, what is the Sixth Commandment? You shall not, you shall not kill, yeah, you shall not murder. Very good. So, and I'll give you a quick cheat sheet. The way that I remember this, Sixth Commandments, you shall not murder right there <laughs> free charge I, and I got more of them right you shall not murder but this, this is actually not just limited to 
murdering, Moses applies this to arranges not just from murder but to manslaughter. Right? Earlier it says that if you go out lumberjacking with your buddy, you're swinging your axe and the head of the axe comes off and beans your brother, what do you do? Right? It covers the principles of warfare. It talks about how to deal with unsolved murders. Right? And we are dipping in at the end of the treatment of the Sixth Commandment. And what we're going to see in this, in this series is that these laws are all for promoting the flourishing of life. So uh, if you have not opened up your Bibles, do so. Deuteronomy chapter 22. Deuteronomy 22, verse 1 begins, You shall not see your brother's ox or his sheep going astray and ignore them. You shall take them back to your brother. So, the fence breaks, the harness comes undone, the wallet is dropped. What do you do? Oh, and you see it. Moses says, you cannot keep them. They cannot make it yours, even though if you want to. You can't ignore the thing that's lost. What do you do? It says you act and you return it. So here, this command prevents the playground policy of finders, keepers, losers, weepers. How many of you have heard that and just been infuriated? Or how many of you have said that? You find a toy that has momentarily been lost, you pick it up, finders, keepers, losers, weepers, nana, nana, nana. Um, Now you have a biblical response. Say, Deuteronomy 22, brother. What do you say? Deuteronomy 22, what is the biblical policy? It's not finders, keepers, it's finders, returners. Um, (laughs) uh, You got to help me out with some, what's a good rhyme? But what do you do? If you find something that is lost, you don't get to keep it. You don't get to ignore it. You return it to your brother. And it is your responsibility to restore what was lost. So let's say if you find a kitten or a dog wandering in the neighborhood and it has a collar on with tags, what do you do? You give the owner a call or you walk it back to its home or you post it on the lost and found animal page on Facebook. Why? Well, that's because God tells you to do it, right? Why? Because you care about the animal, right? Why do you do it? It's because you are applying the golden rule. You are doing to other people what you hope they would do for you, right? What if you lost your wallet? What if your little kitten went wandering off? Would you want someone to catnap your kitten? like has happened to us potentially three times, right? No, (laughs) right? You don't want someone to pocket your wallet. Of course not. What do you do? You apply the golden rule. But you could say, but I'm busy, or he lives across town, or I don't know who this belongs to. And all these are potential excuses. And verse 2 shuts those down. It says, And if he does not live near you, and if you do not know who he is, you shall bring it home to your house, and it shall stay with you until your brother seeks it. Then you shall restore it to him. 
notice that this responsibility of the finder, it comes even as, as a burden and an expense to that person. Right? You've got to go give of your time to be able to track down that ox lumbering down the street. Right? You've got to give your time. You've got to give your food, your water, to be able to feed and take care of that animal until it is, it is found. Right? Honestly, it sounds like it takes some work. Right? It takes some of you to be able to give. Right? And you're thinking, hmm, well, if I ever see my neighbor's ox lumbering down Spotswood Street, don't worry, I know what to do. I will return my neighbor's ox to them, like there's ever going to be an ox going down my street. No, no, what does verse 3 says? It says, and you shall do the same with his donkey. You ever see a donkey? Do it. Or a garment, or anything which, anything lost of your brothers, which he loses and you find. You may not ignore it. Whatever, whatever someone loses that you find, you have a responsibility to restore it. And this is a responsibility that you do right, to yourself, uh, to give to your brother, to your neighbor. So you're ready to help. And this applies to more items than just lost items. Verse 4, it says, You shall not see your brother's donkey or his ox fallen down by the way and ignore them. You shall help him to lift them up. Right, so what does this look like? How does this apply to us today? Suppose you're driving along and a car swerves off of the road. You don't get to drive by. You need to stop and you help them. Your neighbor is stuck in a berm or stuck trying to get out onto the road. Stop, go over, and help her to be able to get out. I remember back one of my favorite days at NSA was the one day, I believe there was one day when it was declared a snow day. And this, this, was, this must have been the great snow day of back in the big fall of 08, right? Who remembers that, that massive, there was a massive snowstorm and then it like freezing rain ice on that. And uh, classes were canceled. The whole town pretty much shut down. And then there was a roving band of us guys and I think a few ladies who just spent the whole day with shovels going around and either pushing cars out or shoveling driveways. And it was a great day. Right? It was one of the best days. Why? Because we were looking for ways to be able to help. We were keen to be able to help our neighbors, our brothers, these strangers. Right? People need help, and we're able to help. Right? So you don't ignore them. But what does Moses think that we often do. Right? Three times he tells us, do not ignore the need of your neighbor. Why does he tell us that? Because often, very often, we ignore the need of our neighbors, of our brothers, of our strangers. We ignore the need. There's the ox in the ditch. There is the car in the ditch. Your neighbor is in the ditch. Right, this is a story of the Good Samaritan that Jesus told against the priest who ignored his neighbor, against the Levite who ignored his neighbor, against a church-going Christian who ignored 
his neighbor, right? Remember the story. There's a guy who gets jumped by thugs, and he gets beaten up, and he's left half dead, and his legs are sticking out onto the sidewalk. And then a priest walks by, and he ignores him. And then a Levite walks by, and he ignores this guy. But a Samaritan came, and when he saw him, he has compassion. He has compassion and does not ignore him. And then he stops the bleeding, and he puts him up on his own donkey and takes him to an inn, and there he cares for them. And then he gives him out of his own wallet, here's enough for two days to be able to take care of this guy. And I'll come back, and I'll make sure all his expenses are covered. And Jesus asked, which of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And just think about it. Like, the Levites, the priest, these would have definitely been men who knew about Deuteronomy 22, right? They knew the commandment. I'm assuming you guys know the commandment to help, don't ignore, to have compassion. And Jesus, or they reply, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus says, you go and do likewise. You go and do likewise. So you go and do likewise with your spouse. You go and do likewise with your brother, with your sister. Right? You go and do likewise with your next door neighbor. And you go and you seek those who are lost and restore them. Right? Go and seek those who are broken and heal them. Why? Because that is what Jesus did for the lost sheep. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And what did Jesus do? Jesus did not ignore you. Jesus did not hide from you. He did not hide himself from his danger. He came from his own home in heaven to pursue the lost and the scattered sheep. That's what Jesus has done for the broken and for the dying. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wound, right? all at his own expense. Right? What did it cost Jesus to heal the sick? What did it cost Jesus to bring back those who are lost? Everything. His life. He gave all of himself. And so this is why, Christian, this is why we go and we do likewise. Right? Because who's the sheep? Right? Who's the broken guy with his life just scattered, bloodied on the sidewalk? That's us. Right? We love because he first loved us. Christians love the lost. Why? Because we are the ones who have been lost. Right? We have been lost, and we have been found, and we have been returned, and we've been celebrated. Right? Remember what happens in the story when someone is lost and is brought home. Right? Party. <laughs> Celebration. Gratitude. A flourishing of life. And that's what we are called to. So this, this biblical emphasis for the flourishing of life also backs up this next commandment. What Jesus says, or what Moses says, and Jesus, in verse 5. Look at this. A woman 
A woman shall not wear a man's garment, nor shall a man put on a woman's cloak. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. This is a timely verse. We live in a society that is quickly blurring the distinctions between genders. There is rampant confusion between what's a boy, what's a girl, between a man and a woman. And so this is a timely verse because we need God's truth and God's distinctions. So this verse prohibits confusion by prohibiting two things. And the first, it prohibits transvestitism. The first verse prohibits a man cross-dressing like a woman. It says that men ought not to wear the clothing of a woman. So a drag queen in fish neck stockings is an abomination to the Lord. And this verse is not saying that men have the market cornered on pants, right? Like, sorry, if you're a woman, no trousers for you, right? It's not saying that, right? You just all you have to do is think back to the original context. And both men and women would have worn robes, right? Everyone would have been wearing robes, but there would have been an objective difference between a man's robe and a woman's robe. And our culture wants to blur the lines so that men can dress like women. There is no distinction, right? And ultimately, you just, you do what you want, right? It doesn't matter. It's just a personal choice. It's my, my self-expression, right? What's the big deal? But this verse shows that God cares which kind of clothes men wear and cares what kind of clothes women wear. And God actually cares about a distinction, There's a distinction between men's clothes and women's clothes. So what does that mean? Well, that God also cares about fabric and the cut of clothes and what colors and patterns and hemlines, right? God cares about all of this, and so should we. And if there's confusion in clothes, right, just something as simple as what you put on, then there will, this can lead to confusion in gender. Right? And this is not crazy. Right? This is very, very much our culture. Right? This is where we are at. Right? What happens when we allow or if we celebrate a man, uh, a man named Bruce to wear women's clothing? Right? There's a biological man named Bruce who had breast implants and chose to put on a dress And now we celebrate him as the woman of the year, right? Yay, Caitlyn Jenner. And I saw just in this last week a news headline that says, Transgender Man Wins Women's World Cycling Championship. (laughs) Right? You guys get that? A transgender man who who says he's a woman totally dominated a woman's world bicycling championship and she he is being held up as courage 
of a, of a transgender athlete. Right? And we're all supposed to go along and honor and celebrate this. But our culture is not just content to switch clothes. Right? We're not just content, oh, I'll switch clothes. But we, uh, we want to attempt to switch genders. And if it's true that God forbids a man to dress like a woman, then how much more does God forbid a man to have a sex change operation to look like a woman? It's not just that we're switching clothes. Now we're trying to switch our gender. But this does not make a man become a woman. And the Lord says all of this is an abomination to the Lord. The second prohibition in verse 5 is that a woman, that a woman are forbidden to wear not the clothes of a man, but the gear of a man. And this goes back to the Hebrew language because we need, we need some distinction particular to this. So the phrase is keli geber. And this refers to, to weapons or tools or that which things are particularly masculine. And a verse that, or an example that we get this from the Bible is um, when Isaac sends Esau to go off and hunt to be able to uh, get game, be able to... Um, cook his favorite meal, he says, Now, therefore, please take your weapons, Kelly Geber, your quiver and your bow, and go out into the field and hunt game for me. Right? So what is he supposed to grab? What is Esau supposed to grab? He's supposed to grab his archery, right? his tools that are for a warrior. And this phrase, Kelly Geber, is regularly translated as as an armor bearer, right? An armor bearer is a guy with the shield, with the extra swords, with the ammo draped around his neck, right? And God says that that role is not what a woman's supposed to do, right? The woman is not to adorn herself with the gear of a man. So one obvious application of this is that God forbids women to engage in combat roles in the military. Women should not be G.I. Jane. Women should not be drafted as infantry soldiers. And pretty soon, Christians are, are going to need to fight against any legislation that forces our daughters to fight. Right? That is a fight that we as faithful Christians need to be ready to take a stand on. That they should not allow your daughter, your wives, to go and fight. So it can begin with just something as simple as dress up, right? Think about your own home, your own kids. Right? Do not let your boy dress up as a princess. Right? Don't do it. Right? Do not let your girl dress up as G.I. Joe. And remember that this verse comes in the application of the sixth commandment. It says, do not destroy life. Rather, cause life to flourish. You just think, what happens when a woman laces up her combat boots and shoulders her assault rifle? Right? The one whom God has made to create life is geared up to destroy life. Right? That which God has made to, to, to promote 
and to create and to cause life to flourish is now going out with the intent to destroy it. So if we're talking whether about a man in fishnet stockings or a woman armed as a soldier, we need to recognize that God finds it loathsome. God says that this is an abomination to him. And so should we. And what happens to that which is an abomination to the Lord? It's judged. It's removed from the land. It's destroyed. Just imagine what happens if the Canaanites thought a certain abomination was, was cool or fashionable or sexy. Would Israel follow them? What if our culture says something is cool, is fashionable, is sexy, is modern, is freeing? Do you follow them? These, and these are, these are weighty matters that ultimately come down to a person's life right, and their identity. And it's a conflict between receiving their identity, their life from God, or creating their own. And in a rejection of God and the life and the body and the glory that he has given to you, it's a rejection ultimately that ends not in more life or in a flourishing of life, but in barrenness. We'll speak a little bit more on that in a few minutes. All right. Finally, we do get to the mama bird and the nest. Right? What do you do? Here is a situation. Right? Suppose you come across a bird's nest, either it's in the tree or on the ground, and it either has chicks or it's eggs. Right? What do you take? What do you eat? And the answer is, again, what is going to promote life? What is going to cause the flourishing of life? The answer is that you can take the young, you can take the eggs, but you must let the mother bird go free. And you just think about the options, right? Taking all the birds, taking them all is a short-term thinking, right? And it's a quick way to totally decimate the total bird population. But if you just take the mother, then the young, they're also going to die, right? They need mama mama bird to feed them. But taking the young only is a way to get your breakfast and to keep the land replenished. Right? And just think, either you can have five eggs and a roast game hen for one meal, but that's it. Or you can have those five eggs and then a continual supply of eggs. This is just basic good stewardship. It says there is a promise attached to this. It says, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long, right? And this is a pretty big promise attached to some potential scrambled eggs, right? The principle is that if you take care of the land, if you take care of what God gives to you, then the land will take care of you. This is generational thinking, delayed gratification. But if you are harsh, if you are greedy, if you strip the produce of the land, then it'll leave you hungry. So if we look to a final passage, verse 8, is that God calls his people to a biblical building code. He says this is a biblical building code to prevent accidents. Verse 8, when you build a house, you shall make a parapet 
for your roof, that you may not bring the guilt of blood upon your house, if anyone should fall from it. All right, so you're familiar that, that during this time they would build houses and they would have flat roofs. So that way people would often go up and have their morning cup of coffee up there or they would socialize up there. Sometimes they would even sleep up there. And if there's this danger that if there's no railing, then some little kid could just totter off, right, fall off. Or there could be a misstep. Or if you're having a very vivid sleepwalking dream, right, you could fall off the roof. And to prevent accidents, this law requires guardrails. Right? Put protective measures around your property. Right? And of course, there's lots of easy applications to our own lives. You put, this is why we put a, a railing around a second-story deck. Or if you're building a tree fort, put some two-by-fours around it. Right? You don't leave faulty wiring alone that could then burn down your house. Right? If your brakes start squealing, and if they keep squealing, and squealing for three months, right, go get them checked. Right? When it snows, don't leave the snow out on the sidewalk. Go out and shovel it. Put a fence around your pool so that the toddler next door doesn't come over, fall in, and drown. Right? The principle is don't be careless. Right? Don't be careless with the life of other people. Uh, and this all has some other good applications in the seasonal time. Right? If you are puking, stay quarantined. That's the easy way to love other people, seasonal application, right? And this is just really basic golden rule stuff that we're talking about here. We are to promote the flourishing of human life, promote the flourishing of all life. And going back to the beginning, so we, are, we are supposed to apply all of Christ to all of our life. And if we look, we've got eight short verses applying a few points of the Sixth Commandment. And with an honest examination, it's not too difficult to see that even in these, we've failed to apply these to our lives. Right? We've failed to live in obedience to this. Right? How many times have you seen something of your neighbor's? Right? You've seen your little brother or your neighbor or your mom in need, and you've chosen to ignore them. Right? You've chosen your own convenience or your own schedule, your own desires over obedience. Right? You've seen something that is lost, and you've taken it for yourself. You pocket it even though you knew it was not yours. Right? Or you've ignored it, and you've walked on by disobedience. Right, and this happens not just with, with things of little importance, but that which is lost that's of eternal importance. How often do you know that someone has wandered from the faith, or that a friend is going off, or your friend is broken and hurt and needs healing and help, and you choose to ignore them? You choose your own convenience. Right, we are to value life by guarding against accidents. 
but often you are more concerned about what is going to cost you. What's the, the expense? Rather, you are careless with others, right? You don't want to shovel the snow because you're watching the football game, right? You don't check your brakes because that would be a bill, right? And failing to put up guardrails goes well beyond real guardrails. Fathers, you can fail to protect your children by failing to put up boundaries and protections on what your kids are watching, right? What kind of social media use your kids are doing, right? And if your child then goes and falls headlong into wilderness, that blood guilt is back on you. Have you failed to protect your children? The guilt returns to you, right? And there is so much that we could say about sexuality and gender and clothes, right? And all we have to do is just look at our own, look at our culture and see that we have compromised, that we are living in an abomination to the Lord, and that the church itself has also compromised and gone along with the world, right? And we view that we, we don't want to be judges, but we have also failed by not loving our culture, by speaking the truth of what is evil and what the Lord calls is an abomination. That these choices are that which the Lord hates. What is this? This is just cowardice in our own church. This is cowardice in our own lives. That we do not have true compassion to be able to speak to love those outside right but it's even it's even simpler than that right we are so selfish and 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 proud and refusing of any admonition right that if someone talks to you about what kind of clothes you're wearing whether you're immodest or if you're acting effeminately you just you roll your eyes you scoff All of this is a sample of our failures. And it's only eight verses applying one commandment in the whole law of the Lord. Right? If we just look at this, how, does, how do we measure up? All of us have sinned. So what do we do? What do we do is we repent. We confess our sins. And then you hear the good news. You hear the good news that Jesus Christ came to forgive you of your sins. You hear the good news that the author of life was murdered on the cross so that way your disobedience of the sixth commandment would be forgiven. You hear the good news that Jesus came to forgive you for breaking this commandment and the first commandment and the second commandment and the eighth commandment and the tenth commandment. You are not only forgiven of your past failures, but then God also gives you the grace for future obedience. The same laws that God has condemned Christians. Right? You look at this, I feel guilty, I feel condemned. Right? But this same law is what God now gives you to show you what obedience is. And gives you his spirit to be able to do that. His grace to be able to live faithfully. And that means that it's all of Christ 
for all of life down to the bird's eggs. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word that truly lays out the, the good life for those who follow and submit to you. Lord, I pray that as we have heard your truth, that you would give us a spirit of humility to know where we have failed, that, that would then drive us to repent, to turn to your son, Jesus, and that then you would give us your spirit, that we would know how to live rightly and the desire to be able to do so. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. Meals together should be a time of harmony, a time of, among family as companions. And we're all of us here uh, companions. And the word uh, in Latin for companion comes from two words, meaning one who shares bread together with you. So this meal does not only affirm that you are in harmony with others, it also strengthens you if you are not in harmony to be able to get there. As those who partake together of communion, we should want to be companions with these people around us more than for the last five minutes during the communion part of the service. Now you've heard of us emphasize before that we do not want you to suspend yourself from the supper. We do not want you feeling that if you've had a bad week, then you're going to send yourself to your room without supper. So that way mom and dad don't have to do it. Well, you are not mom and dad, and you don't get to make that decision. You need the strength. You need the encouragement. You need to commune. And if you did badly last week, then why are you trying to help ensure that you will do poorly next week? This supper is not a reward for doing good. It is nourishment for sinners in various states of recuperation. Having said all this, it's important that you take this nourishment for the task assigned, which is to strive to be true companions. Do you need to refrain from this meal because someone else here is eating and you and he are not speaking? No, not at all. But if this state of affairs is a standing one, a permanent one, then you need to eat so that way you have strength to be able to speak to them and put things right. And if every time you have tried that, it only makes matters worse, then you need to partake so that way you will have the strength to involve others who will be part of a solution. And maybe the other person is difficult. Maybe just you are. Maybe you both are. In any case, you need the Lord's grace and help. And this table is one of the places he supplies it. So come in faith, come with gratitude, come and welcome to Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this meal, that in it, it both reminds us of our fellowship that we have because of your son, and also gives us the grace and the strength to be able to have this same fellowship with one another. Lord, I pray that we would receive it gratefully and that its strength would work out through all of our lives. I pray this in Christ's name, and amen. Uh, so uh, it was interesting that as I was studying this, uh, the Jewish rabbis called 
the commandment about the bird and the nest, the least of the commandments. Out of all the commandments, this is the littlest one, the, the least significant one. I think it's worth noting that God attaches a promise to the, the least of the commandments that he does to one of the greatest commandments, the fifth commandment, same promise. If you honor your father and mother, you shall live long in the land that the Lord your God gives you, and it will be good. I think the takeaway from that is that God is pleased with the littlest of obedience. God is pleased with the little obedience, whether it's returning something that you found, whether it's taking care of the animals that surround you, that God is pleased with the littlest of obedience. So receive with believing hearts the benediction of the Lord. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And all of God's people said, Amen. Christ Church Downtown thanks you for listening.